three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. With the 11th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Makai Becton, tackle Louisville. This is the Can't Wait podcast, our Jets pod here at the Athletic. Tim McMaster, along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris, sitting in because we are we are live again here this morning for this one, reacting to round one of the NFL draft. Definitely subscribe and rate us wherever you check out your podcast, and you could save forty percent off a subscription to the Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait for 40% off. The virtual draft is underway, and the Jets got their man, their very large man, Makai Becton. We're going to get into that. We'll talk about what's on tap for rounds two and three later today. But first, Connor, I need to bring this up because you had the athletic virtual Zoom draft, and there was kids involved. There were pets involved. There were kids on the air last night, but no dogs, no no version of Lucy in the NFL broadcast. Yeah. I was very disappointed. A very, very, very big disappointment. I was kind of hoping to see see some animals, see some pets, at least with the first ten picks before things got crazy for the uh, when, when the Jets selected. And that obviously took me out of commission for for a couple hours there. But yeah, that was that was a little bit of a disappointment. But I will give the NFL credit, man, because I think that that. That entire process that they did yesterday, I know some teams were concerned about hiccups and technical glitches and things going wrong and this not working and that not working. Uh, obviously, there there was probably some some little hiccups and minor things that they had to work through behind the scenes. But overall, from a broadcast standpoint, I thought that went relatively smoothly, at least as smooth as you could possibly expect. You know, everyone, it was engaging. It was entertaining. It was uh, kind of reminded you, obviously, it wasn't what the draft has become. But it reminded me a little bit of what the draft was like kind of like 10, 12 years ago when when it wasn't necessarily the huge spectacle that it is today. So uh, it was I thought the NFL did a pretty good job with it, which is uh, all things considered a, a pretty a pretty good thing. Yeah, they made the campus at ESPN in Bristol look like Vegas with all the colored lights and stuff like that. Uh, they had the fan rooms that were behind Goodell in, in his little man cave where he was uh reporting them from it was pretty good um and Goodell even managed to uh to have a clothing change halfway through the first round he went from full suit to sweater so it was good overall and it'll be interesting to see how it goes through rounds two and three today and then the rest of the draft on Saturday all right let's go to the big fella Makai Becton six seven 364-ish pounds. Um, he's uh, just an incredible athlete. They get him with the 11th pick. I think the most surprising thing here, Connor, we talked about the fact that the Jets may have to get to the point where if they really wanted an offensive lineman, if they really wanted that tackle, they would have to move up in the draft to get him. Yep. Instead, they ended up having a choice of tackles at number yep. 11. Uh, the Giants took Andrew Thomas at 4. The Browns get Jedrick Wills at 10. So they could have gone Werfs or Becton. I think between those two, you go with the guy with the big upside, which was, of course, Becton. Yeah, and when the Jets ran through all of their simulations, and it's something that Joe Douglas has started doing. Obviously, they did it virtually this year. They're going to do it in person uh, for for the years to come. But the way that Joe Douglas likes to do this is the day before the draft, he gets his entire scouting department together, coaching staff, all that stuff. And they run through every possible scenario that they can come up with in their head for what's going to come the next day. And, and they do so with kind of a worst-case scenario mindset, Joe Douglas said when we talked to him yesterday. And when they did that, when they started going through this, 
They didn't believe that it was possible that all four offensive tackles were gone by the time the Jets picked at 11. They were beginning to think that it was probable. I mean, the Miami Dolphins had a legitimate interest in grabbing an offensive tackle to protect their quarterback. The guy that they really wanted, though, was Andrew Thomas. So that's why they were trying to go up there to three, as NFL Network had first reported, was they wanted to go up there at three, not get rid of five. They did not want to get rid of their number five pick, but they wanted to get up there to number three to then allow them to get Andrew Thomas, their offensive tackle, then get the quarterback at number five so they could have that one-two punch. That was what their goal was going to be. When they were not able to do that, and then the Giants took Andrew Thomas, the Dolphins were kind of like, all right, well, we can't really wait for the quarterback to get all the way down late in the first round, so we'd have to take the quarterback and then trade back up, but we're not nearly as high as the, on these other three offensive tackles as we were uh, Andrew Thomas. So what the Dolphins decided to do is they take their quarterback. When that happened, it got to the point where it's like, you know what? There might at least be one offensive tackle there for the Jets. The turning point of this for them and where Joe Douglas and his staff finally took a big sigh of relief or probably finally breathed a big breath, sigh, breath, or whatever of relief was when the Arizona Cardinals did not take an offensive tackle. That was the team that everyone had circled on that was kind of going to dictate what was going to be there at number 11 for the Jets. And the reason for that was because obviously the Arizona Cardinals had a dire need on the offensive line. They want to protect Kyler Murray. But what they determined was that the value of Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons was simply too good to pass up. And that was kind of like that one thing that, and we wrote about it and we talked about it. Uh, we talked about it two days ago and, and it was in our draft, our Jets draft notebook was that that was like one of the turning points in this draft was that if the Cardinals decided to go alignment, the Jets were going to be sweating. If the Cardinals said no, then maybe they weren't. Because if the Cardinals go offensive tackle, suddenly two are gone. Now you've got teams trying to trade up and jump the Jets. You're going to have the Dolphins try to trade up to jump the Jets. You're going to have the Bucks try to trade up to jump the Jets. This all played out perfectly for them, and the Jets obviously get a guy that they covet quite a bit in uh, the big man, like you said, Mackay Becton. And it was cool to see um, the reaction of the players. Sometimes they were delayed just because of the the technology and the broadcast, and sometimes the guys were stuck on the phone when they cut to them. Um, but the Becton reaction was cool because it just felt like kind of pure emotion. It wasn't like a celebration. It was more like he was just kind of overwhelmed with with being selected. Um, it just kind of cool to see. Um, and, and you get to see his family, and you get to see why he's 6'7", 364, man. Dad's a big guy. <laughs> yeah. Mom, I guess, is is a caterer, they were saying on the broadcast. I mean, this this guy comes from it's in the genes that he ended up being yeah. being this big. Um, but it, but it's yeah. just cool to see that kind of emotion and how the impact on these young men when they get selected in this draft. Yeah, and, and I kind of wish that we were able to have a camera in Sam Darnold's house as well to see how he reacted yeah. to finally having someone that's going to protect him. Because, <laughs> I mean, this this was – look, I mean, we talked about it leading into this draft, Tim, is, is who were the Jets going to take it at number 11. And it was either going to be the offensive lineman or it was going to be the receiver. And, and I think what Joe Douglas did was what everyone – entering the draft kind of said, well, he's going to do this, but maybe he doesn't No, he's going to do this, but maybe he doesn't No, He did the obvious thing is that if you can't protect your quarterback, it doesn't matter. It does not matter who's outside. It doesn't matter if it's Jerry Rice. It doesn't matter if it's CD lamb. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Randy Moss. It doesn't matter if it's Henry Ruggs. If you can't keep the quarterback upright and not only upright in terms of not getting hits, but healthy for a 16 game season because hits on Sam Darnold led to him missing time as a rookie with the foot injury and hits on Sam Darnold led to him having a thumb injury that severely impacted his play on the field in terms of the fact he could not hand off with his hand. He couldn't hand off with his left hand. It was impossible. So basically took that play off of it. He had to use two hands to hand it off if he wanted to try 
which then that thumb injury required surgery last year. So you needed to get him healthy. And they took a guy that, look, there is risk with Mekhi Becton, right? There are some concerns. I've heard the lazy remarks about him. There was the weight fluctuation where he was up to something like close to 390 pounds in college. Those are all concerns. And obviously the flag drug test at the NFL Combine. There were, you know, some people that said like, look, when you got a guy who has a little bit of a reputation is he can be a little lazy. Usually when that guy ends up getting paid and the motivation wanes, that's when that weight suddenly starts to come up because he gets lazy. He's not trying to start yada yada. I've heard that that, that lazy stuff was kind of a, a concern with Becton earlier in his college career not so much late so it's not really a red flag the or for the from the Jets perspective Joe Douglas addressed it on our zoom call or our conference call yesterday where he said that he's not overly concerned he's not overly worried about the weight thing the red flag in terms of the uh, the or the flagged drug test at the NFL combine Joe Douglas said he and his staff went through exhaustive measures to look into that he had a one-on-one conversation with Becton on Wednesday that passed the test and if the Jets believe that the 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 um, laziness is not an issue, if the Jets believe that the weight is not an issue, uh, Beckton actually made a comment that he wasn't eating enough, and that's why his weight kept fluctuating so much at Louisville, and he's got a nutritional plan figured out now. Joe Douglas said he believes the Jets' strength and conditioning will help this as well. But if you believe the weight's not going to be an issue, if you are totally convinced that, that the one minor issue of potentially being lazy from earlier in college, if you believe that's not an issue, and if you cross off the, the flag drug test at the NFL Combine, you have a guy, Tim, that does not have the potential to be good, that does not have the potential to be a Pro Bowl player, that does not have the potential to be a starter. You have a guy that has the potential to be an unbelievable left tackle for the next 10 to 15 years, a guy that is all world, a guy that has Hall of Fame potential because you simply do not find human beings that are this big, 6'7", 364. He said he wants to play 350, 355. That doesn't matter. 6'7", 350, 6'7", 360. You don't find human beings that are that big, let alone that big, that run a 5'1", 40 and are that athletic. I mean, this guy is an absolute physical specimen. And when it all comes together with coaching, with uh, the Jets continuing to build on this offensive line, they have the guy, and Joe Douglas said this, the piece that is going to protect and, and fortify this offensive line and a piece that is going to help keep Sam Darnold upright on that blind side for the next 10 to 15 years. And the Jets might have gotten the best player in this draft if, again, those concerns, the laziness, the weight, the flag drug test, if those all are crossed off and not an issue. There's obviously issues with every, there's risk with every pick, but the reward for this one is huge. Yeah, and the words that you love to hear is what Adam Gase had to say, which was nasty. He's got nasty. that kind of yeah. nasty edge. And, and asking Becton about that, Becton. That's how talk. we describe Marissa, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how I was going to be this morning when you were late, Connor. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was late again. Yeah. Be- <laughs> Becton uh, actually said, I'd like to see the man on the ground stay on the ground when I finish yeah. him. I like to get on top, talking about just finishing those yeah. blocks. I mean, that's the kind of attitude you want from your left tackle, and I feel like that's the kind of attitude that rubs off on the other linemen on a team, right? That's kind of a leadership yeah. thing where guys start mm-hmm. to see the left tackle pancaking people, and, and everybody wants to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and, – and again, I don't think the Jets are done with this offensive line, but you, if you look at the front five that they had last year with uh, Kelvin Beecham, Kalachi Osemele, Ryan Khalil – uh, Brian Winters, and then Brandon Shell. And you look at the front five that they're going to trot out on the field now when you have, because I, I look, Joe Douglas wouldn't say he's going to be a day one starter. Spoiler alert, he's going to be a day one <laughs> starter. You're going to have Becton on the left, at left tackle, 
Alex Lewis at left guard, Connor McGovern at center. You're going to have Brian Winters and Greg Van Roten competing it out for that right guard spot. And you're probably going to have George Font, although the Jets did tell Font when they signed him that he could play left tackle. This addition of Becton probably changes some things. I think you'll end up having Font and you'll have Chuma Daga pack, uh, battle it out there for the right tackle spot. And whichever combination the Jets go with, whether that's Van Roten and Font, whether that's Van Roten and uh, Adago, or whether it's Winters instead of Van Roten with those other two, you're going to have a legitimately improved offensive line from last year. Are the Jets done? No. I still expect them to target an interior offensive lineman here on the second day of the draft. I think they could look for one with one of their two third-round picks. It wouldn't surprise me if the right player falls if they take one with the second-round pick. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Lloyd Cushenberry, the kid from LSU, is an option that's out there probably more in the third round. But the Jets have taken a legitimate step forward in improving this offensive line. They now have a piece that they can say, okay, He's going to be an answer for a very long time because the other guys on the line with Lewis and Font and and uh, Daga and Van Roten and McGovern, those guys are all really only one- or two-year players at this point with their current contract structure. They're kind of short-term Band-Aid fixes. They're not there, okay, we've got our guys situated over here. Well, Becton is the first guy that you can say, okay, he's situated for quite some time on that left side of the line, and, and we're going to be, be rocking and rolling for a bit there. And, and now you just kind of can start filling it out, and you can do it with depth players that you can develop while these other players are starting who eventually take over, and then they are your long-term answer for, for the foreseeable future. All right, that moves us to day two, and the Jets picking 48, 68, 79 right now. Obviously, wide receiver is something that I think yeah. Jets Nation wants right now. Like that second pick, mm-hmm. let's get a good receiver. You got the lineman to protect Sam Darnold. Now let's give him a weapon to get the ball to. Uh, we have some questions on YouTube. Thanks for jumping in. We'll save some of these also for Monday. We're going to have a full recap of the draft coming up on Monday on the yeah. podcast. Nice extended uh, episode. Yeah, but here's one from Jaden Campania uh, just talking about Knight says any chance the Jets might have to trade one of the third round picks to move up in the second if they really want to get a guy like Pittman now you talk about uh, Connor you have Michael Pittman from USC T Higgins from Clemson still out there LaVisca Chanel from Colorado Denzel Mims from Baylor there's kind of a handful of that second tier of receivers still out there Um, but if they consider Pittman the top of those do you think the Jets would move up to get him no, because I, I don't think there's that much of a difference between Pittman and Higgins, and I don't think there's that much of a difference between Higgins and Mims. I, I just I don't think that you need to trade up for a receiver. I mean, it's it's not like there there isn't a group. I mean, I, I there's a story up on The Athletic right now if you want to go check it out, uh, just kind of breaking down at the Jets' positions of need, who are the top players still available. I mean, look, I, I limited it to three or four guys at each – two to two to four guys at each position – uh, simply because I was writing this story at like two in the morning and my eyes were shutting, but I easily could have added six, seven, eight, nine receivers that the Jets can still target on the second day of the draft. I personally don't think they need to move up. I think that maybe if anything, they would go from like 45 to 40. And if you're doing something like that, you do not need to include your extra third round pick that a second and a third to move up five or six spots is simply way too much value. Uh, when, when you're talking about the, the NFL's draft trade chart, which you can find on Pro Football Reference. They do a great job. But uh, Pittman is someone I, I think would be an, a tremendous addition to this Jets offense. I know he's not as fast as Adam Gase would like. Adam Gase loves, loves, loves the burners. But the Jets haven't had a guy at receiver with his speed, with his size, a legitimate threat at receiver with his size, probably since Braylon Edwards. I mean, this is a guy that that is big. He's physical. He's great at high pointing the ball, and he has such sure hands that he just does not drop anything. Again, six four, two twenty three. That's a big dude split outside. I think he'd be a perfect complement to Brashad Perriman, who's six two himself. 
12. You then have uh, Jamison Crowder in the slot. I think he would be an ideal signing. But I don't necessarily believe that the Jets are going to need to trade up. Because even if they miss on Pittman, like I said, Higgins is going to be there. Even if Higgins and Pittman are there, Mims are going to be there. Now, the thing that I, I will throw in there that is very intriguing to me is that this pass rushing class there really weren't that many pass rushers taken in the first round. I mean, A.J. Spencer, the kid from Iowa, he was a guy that I remember very early on, people potentially mocking to the Jets early, like mocking to the Jets in the early portions of the first round or potentially being an option if they traded back a bit and were sitting there at like 15, 16, 17. He's still out there. you got the kid from Penn State who's still out there. You have some other developmental projects later on that could be there in the third round. That's where if the pass rushers continue to slide, I wonder if – the Jets say, you know what, maybe we can get another guy in the third round, or maybe we can package two of our third round picks to get back into the second round to get a receiver, and let's go pass rusher first. That's something that I'm very curious to watch develop here on the second day of the draft. But as far as trading up for a receiver, I don't think you need to trade up for a receiver, because I think there's guaranteed to be someone falling to you there at 48. Where it could get weird is if the Jets choose not to go receiver at 48, and then they want to trade back into the second round to ensure they get their guy. Really wasn't a lot of trades. We didn't expect many on on day one. Moving up one pick yeah. was was certainly interesting. Um, do you think that was the technology at all, or do you think that that it was just a situation where it didn't make sense uh, this year? The Patriots always trade, so they don't even count that they moved out of the first round. Yeah. But uh, but as far yeah. as other teams, do you think? I mean, the Jets were were I guess, or we talked to Dan Duggan and the Giants on the phone, and there were conversations about trading. Um, but it didn't come to fruition. So do you think it's it's more likely that it happens a little more on day two? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think they probably got a feel for it. I mean, I know they ran through their mock the day before trying to figure it out. I mean, I guess, but I don't. Uh, I think I think what what this kind of teams tried to iron out trades the day before the draft so that they weren't pressed on the clock and suddenly you have like from a Jets perspective you suddenly have like uh, Joe Douglas calling Rex Hogan and then them saying like yeah this makes some sense and all of a sudden they're calling Adam Gase. Adam Gase says, well, maybe we should try. And all of a sudden you have like seven different phone calls going on in 10 minutes to then have to go call the team to then to, and then all of a sudden they counter. And it's like, I just think it was for all of the phone calls that needed to be made. It was always going to be very challenging to execute a draft, a trade, especially for something within the top 10 picks where you're giving to give up a ton of draft capital. Um, so I think that definitely was impacted by this whole thing being remote or whatever. Uh, but I, I do believe that um, ultimately, like I think in the second day of the draft, you'll probably see it done a little bit more just because it's easier to get trades done because you're not talking about such steep differential in value. So it's easy to say like, all right, for a second rounder, yeah, we'll take a three and a five and you can come back and you can get like it's something like it's a lot easier to do do things like that. All right, we wanted to hop on here and kind of react to day one. This podcast will be up shortly on The Athletic and on Apple and on Spotify and all that stuff. But we'll be back on Monday for a longer edition of the podcast. We'll take more questions on that one. We'll be live again. Um, also, check out Prospects to Pros with Dane Brugler and Chris Burke. They're going to have a show up today, another one on Saturday, and then another one on Monday as they're all in, of course, as always, on the draft. Uh, athletic.com slash the can't wait podcast save 40% off a subscription thanks for joining us if you are on YouTube or checking out the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts uh, we'll be back with you again shortly thanks a lot